Hello, everyone. My name is David Wood. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are making our way through the book of James. And we've been doing this for the last number of weeks. And uh, it's a remarkable letter. I was listening to it the other day when I was out for a run. And I was reminded uh, as I was listening to it how many echoes of Scripture uh, resonate throughout the letter. You hear um, passages that echo from the book of Isaiah, from the book of Psalms, and certainly from Jesus' teaching, especially on the Sermon on the Mount. But when you come to the book of James, you'll notice that there are two main issues that are being addressed. The first issue is this, is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will experience trials and difficulties. And I think that's really important because sometimes I hear people say that, oh, you know, Christians are they're kind of out of touch and they paint this rosy picture of life, of what the Christian life looks like. And, and, and the reality is, is that can be further from the truth. In fact, one of the things that the Bible teaches over and over again is that if you align your life with the way of Jesus, uh, you will experience hardship. I mean, Jesus even makes that promise, as Pastor Sam pointed out a couple weeks ago, that in this world you will have trouble. And so that's one of the themes, that if you follow Jesus, you will experience trials and difficulties. The second issue that shows up um, concerns divisions within the church, that there are internal divisions within the church. I know this, this, this comes as a shock, but um, from the time of the early church right up until now, believe it or not, uh, the church has experienced divisions uh, quite often. And, uh, and they happen even today. Now, why do these divisions happen? Well, as we discover, as we will discover as we make our way through our passage today, um, the issue often goes back to the heart. That our hearts are bent towards doing things that we shouldn't be doing or, or not doing things that we ought to be doing. And this is a really important theme in the book of James. And so in our passage today, these two issues, these, these issues of trials and difficulties and the issue of divisions within the church show up. And so I want to say to you that if, if you're going through difficulties right now, hey, well, listen in. Um, if you're going through relational conflict right now, listen in. Maybe James has something to say to you today. But the passage that we're going to be looking at is James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. If you have a Bible, turn to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I'm reading from the uh, ESV uh, translation. This is, how it, this is what James says. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Let's pray. Jesus, this is your word, and we are your people. And we do pray that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear and um, soften hard hearts. 
and grant us the courage to respond to whatever you teach us this morning through your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, what is James getting at in this passage? Keep your Bibles open. This is where we're going to be camping today. What is G uh, James getting at in this passage? Well, I think he's addressing three really important questions. Here are the three questions. One is this. What do you do when you're under pressure? Uh, what do you do um, when, when, you're when you're experiencing trials and difficulties? And how do you keep going, right? So that's the first question. The second question is this. How do you understand these hardships? How do you understand these trials and these difficulties? Who's behind this? Um, how shall we see our trials and temptations? This is really important. Because if, if you actually get this wrong, you can go off in all sorts of strange directions. And so this is a really important issue that James is addressing. And the third question is this. Is there a way through all this? And so what do you do when you're under pressure? Secondly, who is behind or what is behind all these hardships that you're experiencing? And thirdly, how do you make your way through all this? And so let's look at the first question. What do you do when you're under pressure? How do you keep going when you're experiencing trials and hardships? Well, James is very clear. He says, don't give up. Don't give up. He says in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man, blessed is the one, uh, who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And you know, I've been struck by the fact that almost every book in the New Testament, there's encouragement not to give up, which tells us something really important. One is that stuff will happen in our life that will tempt us to give up. And secondly, that we are not to give up even when we're experiencing the temptation to give up. Look what James says. He says, he says, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. You hear the echo of the Sermon on the Mount there. It's kind of interesting. You know, blessed are the persecuted. Um, the one who doesn't give up, James says, is blessed. And the reward is a crown of life, a crown of life. Uh, interesting word, the word crown is the word Stephanos in, in, in Greek. Uh, so if your name's Stephen, uh, that's what you're named after. Uh, what is this crown that James is referring to? Well, it's not overly clear. I mean, in the Greco-Roman world, this word Stephanos could mean um, uh, what you'd wear if you were a victorious uh, military leader. Um, it could be... Um, could be an ornament of honor that you'd wear, or if you're in athletic competition, is something that you would receive if you won, if you won a race, if you won, won uh, whatever you're uh, competing in. And I think all these senses are captured here. Uh, the crown of life tells us that it is worth it is worth it not to give up. But it's also a bit of a twist too, because I think for Christians, the crown is. It's not just the end point. It's not like, okay, you've persevered, now here's your crown as a reward. The crown is also uh, a mark of honor along the way. Um, it, is, it is something that um, one wears as they're persevering through trials. And so it's got kind of a broader meaning. Now, a lot of people don't like this idea of a crown, a crown of life, because it sounds like God is bribing us. <laughs> it's like, you know... Hang in there and don't worry, in the end, this will be, uh, you know, th this, this is what you're going to get. And um, to which I would say, well, you know what? The New Testament is actually quite comfortable talking about rewards. It actually really is. 
Um, you see this in 1 Corinthians 9, Philippians 3, Matthew chapter 5. But the image is not so much a bribe. It's not so much a bribe, but the picture, the picture here is, is a life, is a life that we receive when we align our lives with the one who is life, right? Um, those who are persevering in the midst of trials belong to God. And this crown, this crown of life, this life that resonates, that radiates from a person who is remaining steadfast in the midst of trials, this is it's kind of like this crown of glory, this crown of life that you see in a person. Now, I've seen this, and you've probably seen this too. I've seen people who have gone through real hard difficulties, and they've remained faithful, and you just see that crown of life emanating from them. I remember uh, I talked to an old professor of mine years ago, and he says, he says, David, he said, there's a world of difference between, you know, a young person who's not gone through many, many trials, perhaps, to look at you and say, you know, God is good. Well, and it's true, God is good. But I'll tell you, there's a world of difference between someone who's gone through the ringer, who's gone through cancer, who's gone through tragedy, and will look at you and still say, you know, God is good. And what is the difference? Well, one is bearing the crown of life. So that's what James is saying. He says, when we persevere in the midst of our trouble and trials, we show who we belong to, who we're hoping in. We are God's people. And that's what James is saying, what it means to be called blessed. So at this point, James turns his attention. He turns his attention, it's important. He turns his attention to those who are remaining steadfast in the midst of trials, to those who are on the verge of giving up in the face of temptations. And he addresses the second question. Who or what is behind these hardships that we experience? Look at verse 13, he says this. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So to answer the question, who is behind these hardships, James is saying, look, we need to be very clear on the source of the temptations that we experience. Because when stuff happens, when things don't go the way we hoped that they were gonna go, when we experience hardships, when we find ourselves doing things that we shouldn't be doing or not doing the things that we ought to be doing, typically what we do is we look outside of ourselves for something to blame. And James knows this. Now, who do we usually blame? Well, if we're, when we see evil in the world, sometimes, sometimes we'll blame the devil. You know, the devil's the source, he's the cause of all the stuff that's going wrong in this world. Sometimes we're a little more nebulous, we blame fate, you know, the stars are aligned against us. But more often than not, especially these days I hear, people will blame God. That God is the reason why there's so many things that's wrong. Either God is not as good as we think he is, or he's not as powerful as we think he is. I mean, all sorts of reasons. Uh, Proverbs 19.3 says this, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. And so James knows, he knows this, right? He knows the, the direction that our hearts can go in. And he teaches us something really, really important. 
namely this, that when you and I are faced with trials and temptations, no one should say, God is tempting me. Why? Well, for two reasons. One, God can, he cannot be tempted with evil. And secondly, God does not tempt anyone. Right? God cannot be tempted with evil, and God does not tempt anyone. So, where does temptation come from then? What is the source of our temptation? Well, it's not God. And if it's not the devil, and if it's not fate, where does it come from? Well, James teaches us, he says, you want to know where temptation comes from? He says it comes here. This is where it starts. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured, when he is enticed by his own desire. I think about lures. How, how does a lure work? I grew up in uh, Ontario, and I had the family, this family that I knew, um, every summer would take uh, me camping and we'd go fishing. I didn't know very much about fishing, but there was lots of pike in this lake that we were fishing. And, and so I, I was introduced to this lure, it's ironically called the, the Red Devil Lure. And uh, man, did it ever work. We caught lots of fish with the Red Devil Lure. And I was thinking about lures. How do lures work? Well, what are the things in our world today that capture our imagination and lead us down paths that we shouldn't be going? What are the temptation? What are the lures that draw us into temptation? Well, there's lots of them, and we can spend lots of time looking at this, but I see about the lures of success. Um, sometimes when we're successful, we uh, find our identity in what we own or what we've achieved or what's on our business card. Um, or the, or the lures of, of busyness, where the more busy we are, the more important we, we, we feel we are. We're tempted uh, to live our lives as if we are actually more important than God, that we're busier than God, that we don't take a Sabbath because, hey, what we're doing is more important. <laughs> I think that there's a lure of, um, of living our life independently of God to suggest that, you know, God may be... You may be helpful on a Sunday morning, but the other six days of the week, God really does not matter. And I think one of the lures of the modern world that we see is that uh, we live our lives as if God does not matter. He may exist, but he certainly doesn't matter. I think there's a lure of innocence where we deny sin. We don't even talk about sin. Man, talk, you mention sin to your neighbor or to your friends and use the S word sin, and uh, people look at you as if you're from another planet. Um, and so we don't talk about sin anymore. We talk about mistakes, we talk about errors, and we typically blame our environment and things around us. But what James is getting at here he says, if you want to locate these lures, he goes, they're not out there, actually. They're not out there. You can't blame God. The issue, the issue is the human heart. The issue lies right here. And our own bent towards doing things that we shouldn't be doing. 
I remember um, there's a great line by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who had spent many, many years in a uh, Russian gulag. And he writes um, these words. He says, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart, through all human hearts. There's a guy named G.K. Chesterton who wrote in the early 20th century, there was a, there was a contest that uh, the local newspaper in, in, in England was running, and, and the, the contest was this. They asked a question. Everybody's supposed to write in their responses, and the question was this. What is wrong with the world? And everybody's giving their opinion as to what they think is wrong with the world. And Chesterton writes this famous letter, and in the letter he sends to the editor, what is wrong with the world? He just writes two words, I am, because he knew the issue the issue lies here. So James teaches us that temptations start from within the heart when one is lured and enticed by one's own desires. But then the question I've often had, and maybe you've had this question too, because it shows up in these passages. What is the difference between a trial and a temptation? What is the difference between a test and a temptation? Like, how do you know when it's a trial that you're supposed to endure or is a temptation that's coming from your heart? Which is, a, I think, a really important question. Um, because James, if you read cha just chapter one, he talks about trials, he talks about temptations, and we're told to persevere in the midst of trials, okay, but then temptations are something to be avoided. And what makes this especially difficult is that the word Trial and the word temptation in Greek is the same word. It's the word parasmos. And so it's used differently, but it's the same word. Now, we can't just blame Greek because English, we do the same thing. We have word, you know, one word that means multiple, multiple things. But how do you know when what we're facing is a trial or a temptation? It's not easy. It requires a spiritual discernment. And I'm not even sure if this is helpful, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. What, what is the difference between a trial and a temptation? Let, let me try to lay this out. What is a trial? Well, a trial is a, is a difficult or challenging situation that we face out there. And that is an occasion for us to trust God, to obey the ways of Jesus, to persevere, and to grow in maturity. Let me repeat that. A trial is a, is a challenging situation we face out there that is an occasion for us to trust God, to obey the ways of Jesus, to persevere, and to grow in maturity. Okay? What is a temptation? Well, I think a temptation is an occasion in here where our default, where our default is to disobey God. And it's, it's our default not only to disobey God, but to attribute to God things that should not, we should not attribute to God, things like evil. Um, it's, it's when we start thinking, well, maybe God is not as loving as his word says he is. And what makes something a temptation is when we allow what we're experiencing to turn us away from God, to deny him, and to apply to God characteristics that do not belong to God. See, trials draws towards God, to trust in him, to seek his strength, to make room, even to make room for mystery and unanswered questions. Trials draws to God, even though we don't get all the, all the questions answered. Trials, 
turn us to God because we, 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 we look at God and we say, you know, where are we going to go? I love the words that disciples say to Jesus, where they say, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. But temptation, what temptations do, they ignore the stuff that's going on in our hearts. We blame everything around us. We attribute to God things that should not be attributed to God. And our hearts are lured to turn away from him. Which leads us to our last question. Is there a way through all this? And James says, yeah, yeah, there's a way through all this. And the way through all this is when we turn to the Father of lights. Look what he says in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved brothers, for every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. So is there a way through this? Yeah. And it's through the Father of lights. Far from causing temptation, James reminds us that the way forward is to remember who God is. God is the God of, he's the father of lights. Now, what does that mean? It's kind of a strange expression, father of lights. Well, it means he's a father, he's, 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 he's God of all things, uh, that he is the God and father of all. It reminds us that God is light in him and through him we can see rightly. That there's, now as the old hymn goes, there is no shadow of turning with thee, that God does not change. Yes, luminaries or whatever, a lot of things change, but God will not change. It reminds us that God is a God of the universe, that, um, that uh, life is not subject to chance, is not subject to the stars, because God reigns over the stars. James is reminding us something we read in 1 John. Uh, chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And so you and I, you and I, through the living word, the word of truth, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what James says, we are brought from death to life. We are the first fruits of his creatures. We are, we are, we are the, the beneficiaries of all that Jesus has done for us. And so because of who God is, because he, he does not change, he, he is light, he is love, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. I always think of there's a 90s chorus that has that song. Um, because unlike everything around us, God does not and will not change. James is encouraging. He says, you know, God doesn't change. He's good. He can be trusted. He is loving. And so when you face difficulties, do not give up. Persevere, because, because God can be trusted. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And if you make it through, if you make it through, you will, you will experience the crown of life, the fullness of life. So let me ask you this. Where are the areas in your life right now that you're tempted to give up? What are the lures that play with your desires and lead you down paths that you shouldn't go? Do you know kind of the predilections of your heart? Do you know how your, how your heart works? I think, I was thinking about this this week. There's nobody better on the unpacking the, the dynamics of the heart 
than the Puritans. They're uh, a group from the um, um, Protestant group from the uh, 17th century and the 16th century. And um, man, they understood the heart. There's a guy named John Owen who wrote this massive book called Sin and Temptation. The whole book it looks at how, how temptation and sin works in the human heart. So the Puritans, they, they know their stuff. And if you want to learn about the human heart, read, read the Puritans. And James is pretty forthright in all this. What does he say in verse 16? He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. More than ever, you and I, we need spiritual discernment. We need spiritual discernment to see to see beyond what our limited eyes can see. I think during this pandemic, a lot of people are, are struggling in discerning uh, what is a trial and what is a temptation. What is a trial that out there and I need to endure, I need to persevere, and what is a temptation where, where there's stuff inside your own heart that's messing you up. We need to distinguish between the trials that transform us and the temptations that destroy us. And we need to remember that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And we need to trust the, the unchanging, loving character of God, even in the mystery of unanswered questions. And allow this trust to be our starting point. I've said this before, but I think for most people, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're struggling, your struggles can be usually reduced to two main questions. And the question is, does God really love me? And the second question is, can I trust him? And what James is saying is like, yeah, God does really love you. He's sovereign over all things, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so, yes, you can trust him. And so during these strange times that we're in, Hold on to what James is teaching you and uh, remain steadfast in the midst of trials and do not let temptations bring you down. Guard your heart. It's a wellspring of life. All right? So let's pray. Father of lights, Lord, we read that uh, you delight in your children, that every good and perfect gift comes from you that you never change. There's no variation or shadow due to change. Lord, thank you that you bring us from death into life through the word of truth. And you call us to persevere and not to give up. Lord, there are some of my brothers and sisters out there right now who are on the verge of giving up. May they hear your word and remain steadfast and receive the crown of life. Lord, help us to understand our hearts, the dynamics of our hearts, and not to be too quick to blame things out there, but to look inside our hearts and see how they lead us in wayward ways, how we attribute characteristics to you which simply are not true. For you are good, you are sovereign, and you are trustworthy. And we commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name.